guys, this is Desi, and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. Today, my guest is Jose. Jose is 26 years old and was born in Navasota, Texas. Jose is a child abuse survivor as well as a sex trafficking survivor. He was sexually and physically abused as a child, and at the age of 16, while he was searching for love and acceptance, he was brought into the world of sex trafficking. He escaped after about three months. Jose is now an activist for the LGBTQIA community. He's a public speaker, author, and advocate for human trafficking. Thank you, Jose, for being here. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to share your story with everybody. Thanks for having me. Of course. So if you want to start from the beginning and tell us, you know, everything that kind of got you to where you are today. Absolutely. Um, So I grew up in a small town, small conservative town called Navasota, Texas. It is a very, very conservative town. I grew up also within the church. Um, So we grew up Southern Baptist. And so growing up, I was very feminine. I had a lot of feminine qualities. And so I was constantly bullied and picked on because of that. And my father also became extremely abusive towards myself. I assume because of my femininity, um, he was constantly Mm -hmm. telling me not to move my head a certain way, not to put my hand on my hips, not to speak a certain way. And I was constantly judged for how I acted. And then because of that, it would then lead to a whooping or a spanking because I was acting feminine or I played with Barbie dolls or I did something that he didn't think was okay for a male to be doing. So that built a lot of shame and anxiety in my life, which then led to my teen years where I um, was dating a guy and it was like pretty much my first boyfriend, but I couldn't admit to myself that Um, We were boyfriends. To me, it was just kind of exploring my sexual identity and figuring out who I was. There were a lot of things that I was afraid of. One was, what are my friends going to think of me when they find out that I'm gay? Are they going to still want to be friends with me? Two was, what are my parents going to think? They're probably going to give up on me. And then my greatest fear was going to hell and fearing God. That was probably one of the biggest issues that I was trying to overcome. And I begged and begged and begged for God to please forgive me and to change me if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and was your mom and was yours and your mom's relationship like okay at the time? Or what was her thoughts on everything? Because you know, obviously your dad wasn't okay with it, but how was your mom? My mother was constantly abused by my father. Our entire lives growing up, we watched her be physically and verbally abused by my father. So basically anything that my father said or did, my mother felt like she had to agree with. Anytime she questioned his authority, anytime she questioned anything that he was doing, I think and I believe that she feared that he was going to be abusive towards her again. So she also felt like because of the church and a lot of things that she read in the Bible, she felt that she needed to honor her husband. Um, So that was another huge part in our lives to where my mother constantly used religion in any shape or form to help explain anything that was going on or going wrong within her life. So with the whole gay situation, of course, she used religion 
against me with that. So, right. Okay. So I was dating this guy at the age of 15 and he was probably in his early twenties. I want to say 2021. And we were meeting up with each other secretly. I would sneak out of my window late at night and then come back early in the morning and get ready for school. And then there was one day I was taking a shower and I think my parents started to realize that I was very absent from our dinners, absent from anything that we were doing because I was constantly on my phone. So one day I left my phone on my dresser in my bedroom while I was showering. And the guy that I was dating at the time was constantly texting me because he was annoying that way. Um, (laughs) He always thought I was like doing something behind his back or whatever. My parents went to my room, grabbed my phone, and they read my text messages. And that day, my father backhanded me on the side of my face, causing me to black out. Mm -hmm. I called the police. The police came. They gave me two options, one to either send my father to jail for the night or to leave and go to a family member's house. I personally didn't want to go to a family member's house and I couldn't understand why I was the one that had to leave when he was physically abusing me. But the officer suggested that I leave versus sending him to jail because when he returns, they didn't know how he was going to react or respond to me choosing. Which blows my mind that they had those fears, but yet still gave you the option of like whether or not they were were going to take him to jail. doesn't make sense to me. Well, growing up in such a small town, everyone is like in a bubble. Oh, okay. Everyone knows everyone. Exactly. And the thought of hearing the words gay, it was so taboo. It's still so taboo to so many people that it's almost like they're afraid of gay people in a sense. In that moment, I think they were just trying, I do think they were trying to help me somewhat, but at the same time, I don't think that they did what was necessary in that moment. So that night I left, I ended up going to my boyfriend's house at that time. And I just remember crying and I stayed up the entire night crying, just trying to figure out what I was going to do. The guy that I was dating, because he was 20 and I was 15, he was terrified that he was going to go to jail. But I reassured him that it was going to be fine. So I go back home the next morning and my father asks me the question, how are we going to fix you? And I'm going to be honest with you, at that time in my life, because I was raised in such a religious home, I wanted to be fixed. And I wanted to change. And I thought about this over and over again. What is the best way that I can change and become the man that my parents and the church and God wants me to be? And I told my father, I said, look, send me to a different school. Send me somewhere new where I can start all over and I will become the man that you're wanting me to be. And my father said, I need some time to talk it over with your mother. We're going to figure out what's going to be best for you. For two weeks, they took my phone away. They took my vehicle away. And they sent me to Mexico with my grandparents. My grandparents were going on vacation to Mexico for a couple of weeks. 
So I went to Mexico with them, no phone, nothing. And my grandfather had this old flip phone that didn't have internet, didn't have anything. So there was no way that I could contact the boyfriend or any friends. It was just mm. me and my grandparents. And let me actually ask you, what nationality are you? I'm Mexican. Are you Mexican? Okay, okay. Yes, so I go to my, with my grandparents to Mexico, and when I return, my bags are packed. Every single drawer and closet is completely empty, and they packed my bags and said that I would be moving to San Antonio, Texas, which was about four hours away from where I grew up. Okay. Not only that, it was a huge city, especially compared to what I grew up in. Very small town where there were cows, pastures, you know, just very, very small. So it was a whole new world for me. Mm -hmm. I felt alone. I felt afraid. And it just it wasn't familiar, obviously. So I started this new school and I'm constantly thinking of ways that I can change. And so this school that you went to, did your parents send you? Is it like a boarding school? Did they move with you or what type of situation was that? So my mother is one of 12 daughters. I know that sounds crazy, but and my father is one of seven brothers. Okay. All boys on one side, all girls on the other. My mother, because there's so many daughters, some of her nieces were the same age as her. So I'm now staying with her niece in San okay. Antonio, Texas. So they moved me. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. And just a new school. Okay. Yep. Brand new school, new everything. I wasn't familiar okay. with any of the city or anything. So I'm in this new school. I then receive a message from the guy that I was dating before. And he says to me, you can go ahead and move on because I've moved on. I've already met someone new is what he says to me. And of course at 15, my heart is broken. I'm like torn because mm -hmm. I know that I have to change, but I care for this guy. And I wanted somewhat to continue at least a friendship with him, but he shut me down completely. And I later found out that my father had contacted him and threatened him. Um, oh, wow. So that's why he ended up calling me, telling me that he was done with me, basically. So I'm depressed. I am just having the worst time in my life. I felt like my whole world was flipped upside down. And I'm in this new school. It's very unfamiliar. And I end up getting on MySpace. And on MySpace, I start adding locals in the area. And mm -hmm. I ended up adding this older guy who was about 30. He said he was 32. And we ended up messaging each other back and forth. The guy's name was Cody. And I ended up meeting up with him at a Starbucks. I lied to my cousin, told her that I was going for, I forget what I told her. It was either a group study or something. Um, so I go to this Starbucks and I get out of my vehicle and I get into his vehicle. And he says to me, I don't think I can go in there because you look so young. And he did know my age. I was turning 16 soon. Okay. Um, so I was 15 at the time. I get into his car. He says he doesn't think he can go inside with me because I look too young. Obviously, I was too young. And he said, mm -hmm. what we could do is go to a local park or do something else. And I agree. I get into his vehicle. He drives off. And then he says, it looks like it's about to rain, which it did. There was overcast. And he said, why don't we just go to my apartment? But if we go to my apartment, we cannot go into my bedroom because 
that's just going to lead to sex. And I don't think that's a good idea. So I start to think, okay, well, this will be fine. And I will say I was attracted to him. I did have this attraction for him. And so, you you know, obviously you were young and manipulated and all that. Did you have a cell phone at this time? I did not because my parents took mine away. Okay. So you still didn't have one. Okay. Right. So then after agreeing to go to his apartment, we walk right in and he immediately walks towards a back room. And I remembered what he said that we could not go to his bedroom. So I sit on the sofa and I wait. And suddenly I start hearing these pornographic sounds coming from his bedroom. And in this moment, I'm contemplating, do I go into the bedroom or do I just leave? And then I thought about it and I was like, well, if I leave, he brought me here and I don't know how I'm going to get back home. So I'm like, I'm going to go into the bedroom and see what's up. So I go into the bedroom and he's completely naked and he's um, masturbating to the pornography that is on his computer. And I say to him, look, I I thought you didn't want to do this. And he says, oh, be quiet. This would be so much more fun versus watching a movie. And Mm. from then on, it was full on anal sex. It was really aggressive. It hurt me a ton. I even told him in moments, like, please stop. Like, it hurts. Um, But he continued. And then after we were done, he gave me a towel. I cleaned myself off and he drove me back to my car. When he drove me back to my car, he said to me, you're a really awesome guy and I hope I get to meet you again. And my thoughts were so confused in that moment. It was, Um, I like this guy, but I didn't like what just happened to me. But maybe there's more to him than just the sexual side. And we continued to chat more after that. And we ended up getting extremely close. I ended up meeting up with him like every other week or weekend. And Mm -hmm. again, it'd be the same thing. It'd be sex and only sex. And every now and then we'd go to a movie or do something, but mostly our relationship was based around sex. The semester ended and it was time for me to go back home for the summer. And it was during that time, like where I was beginning to feel a lot more comfortable with my sexuality. I ended up needing- How did you, excuse me, sorry, really quick. How did your cousin, because you lived with her, what was their, like, what was her opinion on you being gay and that? Was she on okay with it or what? So the story that my parents told everyone was that they moved me to a new school for a better education and for a better choir. I wanted to pursue a career in music after okay. I was So this is what they told everyone, and including her niece. Um, oh, okay, so she didn't know why you were actually there. She had no idea. There was one moment in that new school where this guy was picking on me and he kept calling me a fag. And I just Mm -hmm. remember getting so upset and I flipped my lunch tray that had milk on it and the milk splashed all over him. And I remember the bell rang at the like most perfect moment because I thought he was going to beat the crap out of me. And everyone just dispersed after that. And I forget how my cousin found out about it, but she did question me and she was like, are you gay? And I was like, no, I'm not. I could, I still couldn't admit to her or anyone. Oh, okay. 
um, my sexuality. Okay. And again, I was still trying to figure out who I was and what gay meant and if I was gay. Again, that fear kept me from opening up and sharing that part of my life with people. So I went back home at the end of the semester and my father confronts me again. And he says, so you're better now, you've changed. And I remember looking at him and we had a moment of silence and I paused and I said, I remember telling myself, this is the moment. I'm just going to tell him this is who I am and I'm not going to change. I can't change. And I've tried. And because so at I, this point you'd accepted it. I was trying to accept it. And okay. I felt like okay. because of my relationship with Cody, I now felt like I have an older person on my side who's going to support right. me and is going to defend me. And okay. so I just told him, this is who I am. You know, I can't change. I've tried. And my father immediately got angry. He cried and he turned and looked at me and he said, look, I cannot have a gay son living in my home. And he said, you either need to go to this camp that we've looked into and we think you should go. I found out it ended up being a conversion therapy camp. Oh, those are so scary. Okay. And then he said, you'll go to therapy, counseling, and over the summers, you'll be going to this camp. And I just remember contemplating it. And I was thinking like, maybe this wouldn't be so bad. Looking back now, I'm so happy that I didn't make that decision because now I know so much more about conversion therapy. So conversion therapy is a practice of trying to change an individual's sexual orientation from homosexual or bisexual to heterosexual using psychological or spiritual intervention. So just for people who don't know what that is. So go ahead. Absolutely. So after that moment where he gave me the ultimatum, I told him, I'm sorry, I, I can't do any of those things that you want me to do because I already know that I can't change and this is just who I am. And he said, then you need to get the F out of my house. So I grabbed the house phone that we had and I had already been kind of speaking to Cody on this house phone and then deleting his number, deleting when he would call, still hiding it. And so I called him and I told him what was going on. Him and I had already had conversations about me living with him when I turned 18 years old. He mentioned that I go to a nearby university, which was University of Texas in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And he basically put this whole idea of a future for me that looked amazing. It looked like what I had always wanted for myself. So I call him and I ask him, look, you said I can move in when I'm 18. What's the difference? Why can't I just move in with you now? And he mm -hmm. was like, well, you're our age and I could get into a lot of trouble. And I said, what if my parents kicked me out? Like, what if there's a way that we could go around this and figure out a way that I could live with you? And he mm -hmm. said, let me look into it and I'll call you back. He ends up calling an attorney and the attorney says that because my parents kicked me out and say that I lived with a friend, that there would be a way that I could move in with him. He said okay. that the only way that I could do it is if I enrolled myself into school, which the only way that I could do that was to claim myself homeless through a homeless shelter. And then they would give me a legal guardian who could then sign me into school. Right. So I claim myself homeless. I'm living with Cody. 
and they register me into high school. And I can tell you so many issues with what occurred here. One, no one looked into my situation. No one looked into who I was living with. He had absolutely no relation to me or my family. So there were just so many things that were wrong with this situation. But Mm -hmm. in my head and in my eyes, I saw this as an opportunity for me to live my life the way I wanted to and the way that I was. And I saw a light at the end of the tunnel, or so I thought. Did he treat you well, like, when you lived with him? And, like, how was that, obviously, during this time? We were extremely close. He was, like, a really good friend to me, in a, in a way. But I saw him, the entire time I saw him as my boyfriend. He would say things to me, like, we're not boyfriends. We're not putting a label on it. You're basically, like, my roommate. But, okay, mind you, he's having sex with me every day, sometimes four to five times a day. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the times I don't want to have sex. I don't want to do these things that he's forcing me into. But at the same time, I see it as, well, he saved me from my situation at home. And right. this is okay. what I do to survive. And I'm going to do it. And I love him and I care about him. So I continue to do whatever he asked when he wanted it. It was in this time that I started to realize that he was doing a lot of other things behind my back. He was having sex with other guys and then he would come home and have sex with me right after. Mm -hmm. So he obviously had some sort of like sex addiction and he obviously was a predator, a child predator. And it was in that time that I realized that he was cheating on me and I confronted him. And when I confronted him, he got extremely upset, pushed me out of his bedroom and locked his bedroom door and told me to sleep on the sofa because he told me that we were always just roommates. And mm. at the age of 16, hearing that after all that I had gone through with my parents, all that I had gone through with the last guy, and then now this, I just felt helpless. And right. I went crazy. I started throwing things in the room. I was throwing dishes, salt, anything that I could get my hands on, I threw it. And mm -hmm. finally, I remember, and it's, it's funny, but it's not funny, but I remember jumping from the sofa onto his coffee table. And I remember <laughs> it barely breaking. And so I had to jump on it again to make it collapse. And it was in that <laughs> moment that he came his bedroom and he grabbed me and I just remember being so exhausted from all of the crying screaming and tantrum that I was throwing and I passed out and went to sleep and when I woke up the next uh, morning he had gone to work and I took that as a sign that you don't love me you don't care about me and you just left me here without saying anything to me and so I went to where I was working at the time and I asked the manager if I could use her phone. And she could tell that something was wrong. And I told her that I would explain to her later on, but I ended up just calling my parents and asking them to come and pick me up from San Antonio. Okay. My parents agree to come and pick me up. They don't ask me any questions. They don't ask me who I'm living with. They don't ask me what I was going through. They just came to pick me up. 
right before they come and pick me up, Cody arrives and he opens the door and immediately falls to his knees and starts begging me not to leave him. Okay. And at the time I was thinking, this is what I've been hoping for this entire time. And now it's too late. My parents are already almost arriving and there's no way that I can stay. If I stay, they're going to figure out who you are. They're going to ask questions. It's just not going to work out. But now looking back, he was crying, not because he was in love with me. He was crying because he was afraid that I was going to tell my parents and they were going to go to the police and he was going to be in trouble. Okay, Um, that makes sense. Okay. So I go back home with my parents. Things have changed completely. Our relationship is non-existent. No one's really talking to me in the house. I feel so alone. I'm just extremely, extremely depressed after everything that I've gone through. And I end up speaking with a few friends that I had before all of this and sharing a lot of what I had gone through. And I end up sharing these things almost as if like they weren't that bad. It was like I was just telling a story like, oh, like I did this and I did that and I went through this and almost like it was no big deal. But my friends were just like, oh my God, like that's insane. Like why, why didn't you do anything about it? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, what he did to you was wrong. And I'm like, yeah, but I love him and I care about him. And maybe in our future, we'll get back together. You know, this is like the teenage mind saying these things where all you see is hope and love and you're blinded by the love and you can't even see that what's truly happening to you is so, so wrong. So I share this with my friends. One of my friends is like, hey, like later on today, Let's hang out. I like to joyride. By joyriding, what she meant was she likes to drive around and smoke cigarettes. Okay. So I told her, I was like, I'm down. Let's joyride. Let's hang out. And when I went back home, my father confronted me again. And this time it was, I cannot have you living in my home. It bothers me that you're gay. And he starts chasing me outside of my home. And thank God my friend was already on her way to pick me up. And so she pulls up and I jump into her car and she's like, oh my God, is your dad fighting with you again? And I'm like, yes. She had already known a lot of our history in my past where my father was abusive because I had told her stories growing up of what had happened to me. So she already Mm -hmm. kind of understood what was going on. And we talked, we went for a joyride, and then we went back to her place and she says to me, you can stay the night for tonight. She goes, but I don't know if you can stay longer than one night because my father might have an issue with a guy staying in the same house as me. And Mm -hmm. I understood that because I have three sisters. And again, my father is extremely abusive and controlling. So I got it. I understood. And I said to her, don't worry, I'm going to figure this out. And a part of me was thinking, worst case scenario, I go back to Cody. But I was thinking in my head, maybe there's something else that I can do. So I go online to a gay chat site named gay.com which is obviously very convenient for a gay boy. And I start chatting online with multiple people, but there was one who was about in his 30s and he was extremely fit, handsome, and he messages me and asks me how my day is going. And 
I immediately open up and I share what I had gone through, what my father had just done to me. And I share that I had nowhere else to go. And this guy shows me a ton of empathy and tells me that it's something that he's never experienced himself because his parents were accepting, but that he had a lot of friends who had gone through similar situations. And he Mm -hmm. said that he really wanted to help me because he couldn't even fathom me trying to figure out what to do on my own. So he offered Mm -hmm. me a place to stay. He mentions that he has a nine bedroom home in Austin, Texas, and that if school was so important to me that he would enroll me into private school. I mean, it was like a dream, the things that he was mentioning to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it for a while. And he mentions, look, I understand why you would feel uncomfortable. He was like, but let's chat on the phone. He was like, maybe if you talk to me, you'll feel more comfortable. And so I talked to him, we speak for an hour. And finally, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I'll go with him. I have nowhere else to go. I have no other choices. At this point, you have nothing else to lose. That's what it felt like at the time. Right. And so I tell my friend, look, I'm going with this guy. He's in Houston for business right now, which was about two hours away. I was like, he's going to come and pick me up. I was wondering if you could drop me off at this gas station where he's going to pick me up. And she says are you sure? You know, she's making sure that I'm going to be okay. And I'm like, I've already done this on my own. I can do it again. I'm going to be fine. And she's like, are you sure? You know, and I finally, she agrees. She drops me off and I get into this vehicle with this 32 year old and an older gentleman is sitting in the passenger seat. I have no idea who he is, but he introduces himself as Eugene. So Jason Gandy was the name of the 31-year-old, and Eugene was the guy in the passenger seat. And I remember sitting in in the back seat of the car, and Eugene is staring at me through the rear view mirror, And he turns and looks at me and says, wow. And I just remember feeling so uncomfortable in that moment. He said it in a way that was like, I could eat you right now. You know what I mean? And I was creepy. Yes. And I was just so uncomfortable, but I ignored it. And we continued on our drive to Houston. Eugene was no longer really in the picture after that. Thank God. But Jason then began what I call the grooming process where, I mean, I think the grooming process starts whenever he was already talking to me, telling me all these great things that he was offering me. But for me, the routine that he began was setting me up for when he was going to introduce me to the massage therapy. So in this moment, he begins. So you're living with him at this time. Yes, is this the I'm first li- day? Yes. I'm living with him in Houston, Texas at Eugene's condo, where I'm told that we would later, within a few weeks, leave to Austin, Texas, where he has his nine bedroom home. It wasn't until the second night that he offered to give me a massage. And he had just gotten out of the shower. I'm laying in bed with my clothes on. He drops his towel and he says, I want to give you a massage because this is what I do for work. So he explains to me what he does for work. And he says, I want to show you some cool techniques. And I'm not going to deny 
getting a massage. I thought it sounded great. So he starts massaging me completely naked. And then he starts rubbing up against me and ejaculates onto me. And I remember feeling extremely uncomfortable, but he told me that that's what he wanted to do. And he said that he enjoyed it. He didn't penetrate me. There was no penetration. I didn't do anything sexually with him. He just was rubbing me and ejaculated. After that moment, the next day, it was Raisin Bran cereal in the morning. It was some form of vegetables and protein. And then we would go to the gym and work out. And then we would have, I know this is so bizarre, but every single person who has been through this with Jason did the same thing. We would go to the grocery store and steal protein bars. I have no idea why. I remember feeling so uncomfortable thinking I'm going to get in trouble for stealing. Um, Because he could buy them. He just chose to steal them. Right. First of all, Jason was very odd. Very, very odd guy. Just his way of thinking was different, and he was extremely frugal. He apparently had oh, so much okay. money, but he was so, so frugal. Okay. He constantly talked of places like Bali, Indonesia, places that he visited, and how much he loved these places because you could pay someone a dollar to do or give you anything that you ever wanted. And I remember oh, him okay. telling me things. And I just realized how odd he was. I mean, even the way he went to the restroom was different. He would stand and then squat on the toilet just to go pee. Like it was, it was bizarre. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. He was just weird guy. Okay. So. And was um, he like good looking still? Like you had thought in the pictures and stuff? Like, was he still like buff and good looking? I mean, he wasn't buff, but he was very slim and cut and, you know, he was an attractive guy. I wouldn't say he's like hot, but he was attractive. So after stealing the protein bars, we would go back to the apartment, have dinner, which again was some form of vegetable, something bland and healthy. And then we'd go back to the gym for the second time. He's now beginning to get me more fit and basically a good employee to have for his massage business. So after a week of this routine, he then asks me and tells me that he knows a way that I can make money and that what I would have to do is give massages through his massage business with him. He called them four hand massages, which means there's four hands involved. And he says, what I have to do is tell people that I am 18 years old and that I'm training to get my license and I'm training under him. And I was like, this sounds easy. This is what I always wanted. I want to make some money for myself and I want to become successful and I want to be able to support myself. And this seemed like the way to go. And so I say, okay. I was like, but problem is I don't know how to give a massage like you do. And he goes on to explaining. And then he finally says, just do as I do. It'll be fine. And I'm like, okay. "Okay." So he shows me his massage profile where he finds clients. He shows me what he posts on Craigslist um, to find clients for these massages. A lot of them would say, M for M, which stood for male for male. And it would say 18 year old 
massage massages and it would say forehand massages available upon request and it would have a photo of me shirtless a photo of him shirtless and a phone number that they could call if they wanted to book an appointment so mind you at this time i'm still 16 years old and so first massage it was an older gentleman who was married I knew this because he had a wedding ring. And at that time, you could not legally get married if you were gay. So I knew he was a straight male. And I knew he had to have been successful because he had a business suit. His ring was humongous. You know, I just knew this had to have been a lawyer, a someone important. And so I'm waiting in this side room waiting for them to prepare the bed the, or the massage table and everything that we'd be giving the massage on and then Jason comes out and tells me that they're ready for me to come in and I come in fully clothed and I realize that this guy is completely naked on the table and I kind of laugh to myself thinking maybe he made a mistake and didn't realize that he's supposed to be underneath the sheet but that wasn't the case because I turn and I look at Jason and Jason begins to remove his clothing. And it's in that moment that I remember him saying to me that I need to do as he does. And I look at him and he looks at me and he says, yes. And he's moving his head up and down, back and forth. And I take that as yes, take off your clothes. So he's completely naked. I remove my clothing and we begin massaging this guy on the table. And I remember feeling so scared that I couldn't even control my legs from shaking. It was almost like this feeling like I was freezing cold, but I wasn't cold. Mm. I was just extremely anxious and my body was reacting. And I just remember- You were like shaking from the inside. Yes. And I was shivering like you could- you could almost hear my teeth hitting each other where I was like shaking so much. Mm. And so I began rubbing him and Jason then begins rubbing his, his butt and I do the same. And then he moves to the front of the table. So the head of the table, I follow along and this guy begins grabbing me and he starts touching me and all of my private areas And mind you, he's face down, so he can't really see me. And I didn't want him to see me either. But eventually he starts making these mouth sounds. And I'll never forget it. It's like traumatizing, to be honest with you. He's making these sounds Mm -hmm. almost as if he wants to have oral sex with me. And Mm. it's in that moment where Jason then tells me that I'm free to leave the massage. So I leave the massage. Okay, so he lets you leave. He lets me leave. I leave the massage. He finishes. I don't know what went on when he finished, but then he comes out of the room and he tells me, you did such an awesome job. And he hands me like 40 or 50 bucks. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that again. But at the same time, having cash in my hand, I started to think, okay, maybe I could. Maybe if that's all that it is, Maybe I can do this again. Maybe I can be okay with these older gentlemen touching me. I think we could go through with it. Um, Mm -hmm. So then it continues. The same pattern. 
except now we're including massages and now we're booking up appointments in between the gym and the grocery store, you know, and, or the gym and dinner. And then after these massages, then we go back to the gym and every single day, it, it was like a full-time job to be this perfect employee for Jason. And mm -hmm. I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, what I would give just to have a bag of Doritos or a chocolate chip cookie or something. Mm -hmm. But Jason would get upset when I would say that I wanted any kind of junk food. All right, guys. So if you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me wearing and repping the cutest leggings and workout gear. Well, all of that is from my ladies at Clone Apparel. The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, Darkness Before Dawn on season one, which was about suicide prevention. Clone specializes in apparel for every booty and boob type. Plus, they have stuff for men as well. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up my kids and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, or showing my booty. They are squat proof, moisture wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $45. They will be launching new styles including high-waisted workout shorts this month, which I seriously cannot wait for. Check out the clone highlight on my Instagram page and make sure you follow them on Facebook and or Instagram at clone apparel. That's K-L-O-N apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. Also, if you use the discount code candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out now. You will not regret it. So I begin to have these like fears that are starting to build up like he's going to get angry. I'm never going to be able to eat junk food again. Um, you know, priorities at 16. I just wanted to have a good time. So then after this routine becomes somewhat normal to me, he then tells me that we're going to move to Austin, Texas. Now at this time, I was supposed to be enrolled the entire time. And I was beginning to think that I was going to get in trouble for not being in school. So I told him, as soon as we get to Austin, I have to go to the homeless shelter and claim myself homeless because this is now what I know what to do. And I need to get a legal guardian to sign me into school. And nowhere in there does he even mention the private school or anything that he had mentioned before. Mind you, when we get to his nine bedroom house, and I say that in quotations, nine bedrooms, because it was actually like a four or five bedroom home that he had divided by bedroom sheeting. Oh, okay. And he would have a bed in each quote unquote room that he had. So in my head, I'm oh, thinking, okay. I'm going to this mansion, this guy's rich, he's wealthy, and it's a total dump. Total, total dump. Okay. It was disgusting, but it was something that he was extremely proud of. There was even a mobile home that was sitting in the front lawn that he considered oh, a bedroom. Wow. Um, oh, wow. This is where you start to realize his mentality and you start to see something's truly wrong with this guy and his mm -hmm. thoughts on a successful life are so tainted. We continue the exact same routine and this goes on for a couple of months and it isn't until I realize that he has an infatuation with really, really young boys. And when I say young, I'm saying anywhere from maybe like seven to 12 
And I noticed this because there's one day we're walking through the grocery store where we are stealing protein bars. This young, like seven or eight year old boy passes by and his mother is like far ahead of him. And Jason's entire body just rotates towards this small child. And I just remember him staring at him like, he wanted him, almost like the same look Eugene gave me in that vehicle. Um, oh, that's sick. And I confront him, and I and I confront him because I now feel comfortable with him. We're now somewhat friends, and I say mm-hmm. to him, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "That's a little boy. Like you can't do that." And he was like, "All I'm doing is looking." And he gets really angry with me. And he's like, there's no problem with me looking at him. And I just remember thinking, I need to get out of here. I cannot be here anymore. And I can't do this. This is so wrong. Mind you, yes, the entire time I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I don't know at what level and how bad it truly is. Um, I leave, I end up using Jason's cell phone to contact Cody and I contacted Cody because I didn't want to go back home where my father was again going to be abusive and chase me out of the house and I was going to have nowhere else to go. And I just felt like Cody was the only person that I could go to. And I felt like the situation that I was in with Cody was 10 times better than what I was doing with Jason. Um, Right. Because at this time you're doing the massages, but you're still not like doing sexual acts or anything like that. You're just doing the massage. Um, it, it, it does become more and more sexual as the weeks progress. It's more oral sex, giving, receiving. It's all touching. It is ejaculating. It was all of that. So it did turn to all that. It did turn to all of that. I remember Jason telling me the more sexual you are, And the more that you do, the more you might get paid. And so it was almost like he made it okay to be doing these things during the massages. And it wasn't until right before I was going to leave, and I had already been planning on leaving, that things started to feel off as far as the bookings of the massages Um, started to happen. He would be extremely secretive on his phone and on his computer. And usually I could see the Craigslist ads that he would post. But for some reason, this massage, he was completely just hiding everything from me. And I just Mm -hmm. knew and I felt like something was wrong. And even when the guy showed up, I wasn't part of any of the setting up. I wasn't part of anything. And so they ended up having a long conversation that I could hear a little bit of, but I couldn't make out the full conversation. And so I just knew Mm -hmm. something is up. And we go into the room, things are how they usually are. And then in mid-massage, Jason looks at me and he says, the client wants to pay extra money to massage you. I remember this feeling like, I don't want to do this, but if I say no, what's going to happen to me? You know, Um, here I am. And you hadn't called Cody yet, right? This is before you called Cody. This is right before I called Cody. Sorry. So I'm thinking if I leave this room, who's going to come after me? And if they come after me, what are they going to do to me? And I'm thinking of everything. I'm thinking this is a married, successful man. He's straight. 
And if I go and threaten one to not do the massage or two to leave, this guy's going to think that I'm going to go and tell law enforcement and ruin his entire life. He's going to stop me. And I'm thinking the same thing about Jason that I always thought Jason's going to end up harming me in some kind of way. And therefore I'm not going to be able to leave ever. So I have this in the back of my head. I'm thinking all of this and I'm like, screw it. I have to do what they're asking of me. So I get onto the table and I close my eyes and this large man gets on top of me and rapes me. And I remember blacking out to the point to where I had no sense of feeling. I had, I basically didn't even know where I was at anymore. I mentally tried to escape what was happening to me. And the guy ends up ejaculating inside of me with no condom, gets off of the table and grabs his clothing and kisses me on the forehead and leaves the room and I remember just crying and was Jason in there or did he leave Jason ended up leaving the room as soon as this guy said that he wanted to massage me once I got onto the table Jason left the room and after the guy paid Jason comes back into the room and I'm crying and he laughed and he says you didn't have to do any of that I just remember feeling like total shit and I'm just feeling like here he's sitting here laughing instead of trying to make me feel better. This guy doesn't give a crap about me. And I just remember feeling like I have to get out of here. I have to go. So Mm -hmm. contact Cody. I tell him what is happening and Cody's so upset. He's so mad. And he is saying that he's going to like kick his ass when he comes to pick me up and saying this and that. And I'm like, no, just leave it how it is. I'm just going to leave in the morning. I'm going to run out and I'll get into the car and that's it. And that's what happens. I end up, it's the strangest thing. I end up leaving through the garage because I saw a huge roll of money that Jason had from all of the massages that we had been giving. And mm-hmm. I was like, that money belongs to me and I'm taking it. <laughs> so Good. I get into his truck, I take his money and I run out of the garage and I am literally, I have this feeling just like I'm free and Cody, I love you so much. Like I can't even explain how much I missed Cody and how in love with him that I was And I wanted so badly for us to have a relationship together. And it's so twisted. It's so, so twisted to me. It is. But at the same time, I understand because I get the idea of like, you were manipulated by these men that were said that they loved you. They said all the things that they, all the right things they said to you to make you think that they cared about you. Cody. Um, Jason. Yes, Jason, obviously his went a different way, but Cody, it sounds like he did care about you, but at the same time, he was a lot older. And like you said, it was a really twisted situation, but it makes sense why you felt that way. Right. And to be honest with you, I didn't begin to see anything wrong with it until in 2018 
when we went to trial, um, which I'll get more into that in a moment. Okay. But I end up going back with Cody and this is when I realize something is wrong with me. My mental state is just going crazy. I'm mentally going crazy. I'm constantly fearing that Cody is cheating on me. I'm extremely paranoid. I am extremely depressed. I'm down. I, I don't feel like myself anymore. And I do believe that there was a part of me that I left behind when I met Jason. You know, when you, your parents give up on you, when everyone around you gives up on you, when this guy, Cody, gives up on you and treats you the way that he does, and then Jason to do the mm-hmm. same thing to you, I just lost all hope. And I began to mentally go crazy. And I see the first sign Mm. of PTSD. I remember Cody would get up for work in the morning and I would hear his phone buzz and my heart would race. And I'm like, I have to see who that is. I have to figure out if he's cheating on me. But it's this Mm. feeling almost like you're going to die if you don't. And he would leave and... I would go through his closet, his drawers, his, I would go through everything to see if I could find any sign that he was doing anything behind my back. And Mm -hmm. it got to a point to where I knew he was cheating on me and I contemplated killing him. There were moments where I did think like, I'm going to end up killing him. And I would sleep with a knife Mm -hmm. in between the mattresses thinking that if I need this, and I need to kill him, I'll be prepared and I'll be ready. Was that because you felt like scared he would hurt you or because you were angry? You felt angry. Because I was angry and I was so sad. I was so distraught with everything that I was going through. There were moments where I almost was going back to what Jason was doing to me, going back to what my father had done to me. And then now with whatever Cody would do to me, it was everything that was affecting me from the past that was like hurting me more and more as the days continued. And it got to a point to where I was basically screaming for help. I came home one day from school and there was a young guy, definitely over the age of 18, but there was a young guy sitting on his sofa and I was just like, are you kidding me? And I'm thinking, these guys were definitely having sex before I got here. And this is so shitty. And I just remember screaming at him, like, what are you doing? Why do you keep doing this to me? And I tell him I want to go home. And I tell him that he needs to drive me home, back Mm -hmm. to my hometown with my parents. And Mm -hmm. I there's even a moment where I get out of the vehicle while he's driving me home. And I tell him that one, I'm going to kill myself by jumping out of the vehicle. And two, when we stopped at the gas station, I told him, I'm going to go into the gas station and tell everyone that you've been fucking me since I was um, 15, 16 years old. And Mm -hmm. he turned and looked at me and he was like, please just stop and tell me what it is that you want from me. And I tell him, I didn't even know 
what I wanted anymore. I couldn't control myself or my emotions. Well, at this point, like you said, you're crying for help. Right. So he ends up dropping me off. And my life is I go back and forth. I fight with my parents. I go stay with Cody. Cody fights with me. I go stay with my parents. And this is my life from then on. I did end up graduating high school. I got my diploma. And then I enrolled into college. And it wasn't until the age of 18 where Cody basically was done with me. Now that you're old enough, now he was done. Now that I'm old enough, right. And he kind of saw it as, okay, you're 18 years old. Now you can't go to the police and tell them what I've done to you. You can't do anything about it. And I end up getting a message from a guy who's telling me that he's HIV positive and tells me that Cody's been having sex with him for forever now since he's been with me and he was like I highly doubt that he's been using protection with you and I think that you should go and get tested and I'm freaking out you know I'm thinking I have HIV there's no way that I don't have it there's no way that Cody doesn't have it and I had never been tested before so I didn't know how to get tested I didn't know where to go and I was just freaking out. So when Cody got home, I immediately was screaming at him, just telling him, why would he do this to me? Why is he still cheating on me? And it was in this moment that I became extremely physical with him and I shoved him against the stove. And there's like the huge fan above the stove and he kind of bumps his head on that fan. And he, I didn't know this, but he had his phone in his pocket and he calls 911. And so the cops arrive and they ask me, did you physically assault him? And I said, of course I did. After telling them what he had been doing to me since I was 15 years old. And she goes, I'm sorry, but you're an adult. You're 18 years old. You need to put your hands behind your back because you're coming with us. And I still have this mentality that I'm going, that they're saving me and that they're going to take me to my parents. I don't know why I thought this. Maybe because I had never gone to jail and I've never experienced that. Um, And I remember sitting in the car crying and I'm like, so are my parents going to come and pick me up? And they go, honey, you're going to jail for the night. And I just remember crying hysterically and saying that I didn't do anything and that I didn't understand why. Um, And it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Yes, my experience in jail was horrific. I hated it. It was freezing cold and terrifying. But it was after that that I started to move on slowly from Cody. He would... Well, I feel like at this point you were going, like you said, you were going back and forth between your parents and Cody because you didn't have a safe place so that they were you had you had no other choice and that's what's hard is when you're in an abusive home you're trying to escape your home by going anywhere else but then you're going to another abusive home so you weren't safe in anywhere you went at this point right and that's what it felt like it was just but also in this time in my life the abuse and the chaos became normal for me Right. Um, It's all you knew. Right. And so when there wasn't arguments and there wasn't chaos going on, it felt like something was wrong. 
which is right. So- and you felt like you had to do something to cause I and I only know that because um the term we use like with therapy is self-sabotage because we I used to do the same thing. It, we're used to that chaos. We're used to the uncomfortableness for so long that as soon as it's calm, we feel like we have to create a storm because it's not comfortable. Right. My life just becomes extremely chaotic. I'm slowly starting to remove myself from Cody. I do end up getting my own apartment. Well, it wasn't an apartment. It was a room within an apartment. And I lived, my roommates were drug dealers. Um, oh, wow. I began drinking a ton, taking ecstasy, doing cocaine, and my goals in life had disappeared. I no longer had any dreams to become anyone or anything. All I wanted to do was drink and party. And I had to drop out of college because I wasn't waking up on time um, to go to school because I was either hungover or just extremely exhausted and depressed. So I couldn't keep up with that. So I had to drop out. And then I began a life of survival sex. And what I would do is I would find ways to give the same massages that I would give with Jason so that I could have some form of income to help pay for an apartment, to pay for food, to pay for anything that I needed. And so I did that for a while. So I was having- At this point, you're 18, right? I'm 18 at this point, yes. Okay. Um, I start having sex for money. I began performing on webcams um, to make extra income. And I'm doing what I can to help feed myself, but also live a life where I could party all the time. And so I basically become extremely lost and I lose touch of who I was. And I just don't want to do anything with my life. I end up going online. I know I should just stay off of line because this is how all the trouble is <laughs> with me. Um, but Damn MySpace. Right. Um, There's this guy that messages me on a gay dating app and he says to me, he basically offers me a job and he offers me a job as a personal assistant. And he says to me, I don't want any like naked photos of you, you know? So I start to begin thinking that, okay, this guy's not about sex. He truly wants an employee. He tells me that he's in Vegas on business and that he flies around every week, sometimes every other week from city to city because he owns a demolition business. And he tells me he's got tons of money, but he needed an assistant to help book his hotels and flights for him. And at this point in my life, I'm basically, I'm not scared of anything or anyone. I... I had going for me. So this just sounded like a great idea. Um, So I end up going with him. He flies me to Vegas, gives me a private suite. And it's basically a sugar daddy situation is what it was. This guy turns out that he was part of the mafia. Okay. Allegedly. I know this sounds crazy, but allegedly he was part of the mafia And what he would do is because he was gay, he would find young gay boys that he was attracted to, but he also found ones that didn't really have anything going for themselves and he would launder money through them. 
Um, would give me hundreds of thousands of dollars and tell me to get rid of it by the time the day was over. Um, sometimes he would tell me to deposit money into my bank account and then take it out for him. He had a chimpanzee. He had million dollar homes. Like he had everything. And he gives me this taste of what luxury is. And it isn't until he starts becoming extremely controlling and starts becoming verbally abusive to me that I'm like, I need to get out of here. Like, I can't do this anymore. He says to me, when I mention the stuff that I had gone through with Cody, and I tell him that I had always thought about going to the police, that he says to me, he gets extremely angry, mostly because he thinks that now I'm a snitch. And he says, if you ever think about going to the police and telling them about me, he goes, I'm sure you've looked me up on Google. He goes, anything that you've read about me is true. And if you think that I'm going to come after you, you're wrong because I'm going to come after your little four-year-old sister. And I just remember thinking, what the hell did I get myself into? I need to go home. This is crazy. Yeah, for sure. That's that's scary. Um, So I leave, I go back home and then I now have this idea of what I want and I want luxury. I want money. I want to live an easy life where I can make easy money and that's what I want. And so I began going on these uh, sugar daddy sites and there was one called Houseboy um, where you become someone living in someone's house and they pay you a weekly allowance for living with them. Um, Some of these situations could be dangerous because some of them just want you as a sex slave, basically. Um, But some Mm -hmm. of them were literally, they just wanted a companion. And I kind of Mm -hmm. learned to filter out the bad ones versus the good ones, just with so much experience with being online and going through what I had gone through. I end up meeting an older guy who flies me to Boston, which is where I live now. And He says to me that he was looking for someone for a companion and that he would fly me out and he does. And long story short, we don't really have this connection with each other and we both agree that it's not really working. But he says to me that he thinks I'm a great guy and that I've got a great head on my shoulders. And he said, I'm going to offer you a place to stay rent free with food on the table under one condition. And I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go. What, what is it that I could do for you? You know, every, mm-hmm. every man in my life has wanted something for me. You know, there's always is- one stipulation. Absolutely. And he says, you have to go back to school. And oh, wow. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, that's not what I was expecting, but okay. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm also thinking in my head, like, uh, probably rather just have sex with you than go back to school. But I start to think about this and I decide, okay, I'm going to go to beauty school. I'm going to go to school to do hair and this is what I'm going to do. And so I start doing that. And then I meet a guy named David um, who was not too much older than me, closer to my age than any other guy that I had been with. And Mm -hmm. we start dating like a normal date. I paid for things. He paid for things. And I sooner or later decide 
that I want to be with this guy. And we've now been boyfriends for going on eight years now. Um, oh, wow. And it was during this time in 2014 um, that I had a friend come and visit and he told me, Jose, I know what happened to you when you were younger. He goes, don't try to figure out who told me. I did end up figuring out who told him. It was a mutual friend, small world, basically. And he tells me, I know what happened to you. And Jason is in prison. And I'm like, wait, what? And he goes, yes, he was arrested in 2012. So two years prior to him telling me this, Jason was arrested with a 15-year-old boy going to London to sell him sexually the same way that he had done me through his massage business. And I, reading the reports, he promised him to take him to the London Olympics in 2012. So this is where they were headed, but they were going to be giving these explicit massages. And it was overseas in London when they landed that Homeland Security noticed something was wrong and they arrested both of them and took them into custody. Mm -hmm. So this is what starts the entire trial um, and investigation. And this is where the article started coming out, asking for any victims who might have any more information to please come forward and share. And so I contacted law enforcement and I told them what I had been going through. They sent me to an office in downtown Boston to speak with Homeland Security and the U.S. Attorney's Office who was handling the case. And flash forward to 2018, we go to trial and Jason Gandy was sentenced to 30 years in prison with no chance of parole. There were a total of four victims who came forward, myself included. And yeah, so now he's in prison for the rest of the war, basically. And then I pursued a civil suit against him. Um, this was the idea of an attorney who contacted me and asked me if I had ever thought about civilly suing him. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know how to go about doing that. And I don't have any money. And they were like, no, this would be free pro bono. You know, we could hook you up with a good lawyer. You know, we're willing to help you through all of this. And it was the Texas Rio Grande legal aid who helped me. And they found mm -hmm. me some lawyers who were willing to take on my case pro bono. Um, it was Fish and Richardson um, was the name of the attorney group. And we sued Jason Gandy for $400,000. I don't know how they come up with that number, but they have some formula to come up with it. Um, mm -hmm. So $400,000, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. But they made me aware. They're like, he might not have any of that money. So we're not necessarily doing this for the money. We're doing this to make sure that if and when he gets out of prison, that he has nothing to his name. And right. I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. So we sue him for $400,000. And in the state of Texas, you already know I'm a minority my type of people are oppressed, you know, with right. being gay, being Latino. And this judge granted me and awarded me $1.43 which was huge to award me almost triple the amount that we were suing Jason for, which is unheard of. Right. 
So ever since then, I began writing and... So you did get that though, then? No. How does that work? So how that works (laughs) is, yes, they award me this amount of money, but I will never see it unless he has that money. Um, And then there's a whole other legal process about that we have to go through and getting any kind of money. So they're in the process of liquidating all of his assets, auctioning them off um, and figuring out the total that I would be receiving. I don't believe anywhere near 1.43 million, um, but I will be receiving something. I just don't know what it will be. Um, Okay. But at the end of the day, I'm just so happy that all of that happened. I can now recognize what it is that I've gone through and how horrific it truly is. Um, And it wasn't until this trial that I could see that what I had gone through was so bad and terrible. Did you have a hard time thinking that, okay, well, this was my fault because I would do the massages and I would go along with it? Or what was your mentality on that? Because as a victim myself, a survivor myself, I have had a lot of people ask me those questions. Well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? To where it almost seems like we went along with it. So it's not sex trafficking because you went along with it. You know what I mean? So what is your your intake on that? Before the trial, I had a lot of those ideas in my head. Like mm-hmm. what you, I remember thinking what I went through happened because I put myself through it. And I didn't really know what human trafficking was. I had an idea of what it was because of the movie Taken. And I remember thinking, oh, well, that's not the (laughs) same thing that happened to me. You know, I'm thinking, so I wasn't human trafficked. I was thinking just that I made a decision to do these massages. Therefore, I'm just as guilty as they are. And this feeling with Cody, I was so in love with him that it didn't even seem like what he had done was legally wrong. wrong. I knew it was wrong because anytime you cheat on your significant other, it's wrong. But I didn't think legally there were any consequences for what he had done. Um, Because you were 16 and he was how old? 30 something? He was 36 when I met him. Okay. So he was, yeah, way over your double your age. Okay. Yes. And it wasn't until this trial and sharing this story um, where I started to realize, oh my gosh, like your entire life was a mess. It was chaos. It was horrific. And to be honest with you, a lot of the depression, PTSD, anxiety, didn't hit me as hard as this moment where I started to realize that what I had gone through was so horrible. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw someone different now, or I don't know what it was, but there was something in me where I was just like, you, you suck. Like your whole life sucks. Like you're an awful person. And I hated myself for a long time. Um, there were years where I contemplated suicide. There were years where I wanted to drink my life away. Um, I began acting out while I was drunk, where I would 
fight with random people, um, almost as if it were Cody all over again. Um, my boyfriend currently, David, has shared with me that there have been moments where I've been so drunk that I end up running away from him, um, mm. almost threatening him, saying that he's going to do certain things to me. Um, you get scared. Um, he's not scared. He's just like, it's very odd. No, you get scared. You get scared. Yes. Right. I get scared. Um, but it's just because I mentally am going back to those moments in life that were so bad. Um, after the trial, I experienced a lot of that as well. And it was without alcohol or anything else to set me off. It was just like anyone that was around me that I could explode on. I would. And especially Mm -hmm. my boyfriend, my boyfriend would get the butt end of everything where I would just like scream at him and tell him, you don't have any idea what it is that I've gone through and you'll never understand. And I'd push him away from me, like stay Mm -hmm. away from me. And I would cry. And I, in these moments, I would think of killing myself or just ending my life thinking that there's no, there's nothing available for me in the future. Um, so when did things start to change? Um, I think things started to change when I started to look for therapy. I started going to therapy, but also when I started sharing my story, um, Homeland and the U S attorney's office asked me if I was willing to share my story, um, with other social workers, um, and law enforcement. And I agreed. And it wasn't until that validation in saying that you and hearing people say you're so strong um, and I can't believe you went through all of that and it validated what I went through and it started to make me feel like okay you didn't do this to yourself and this isn't your fault and you can come out of this you got out of that you can come out of this and you're gonna be okay and Mm -hmm. then I started to see what my story did when I spoke of it and I shared it, um, how people just felt aware. And I I got feeling like I could help other people out of their situations, other gay men, other gay boys who are going through the same thing that I went through. And hopefully I can be a voice for them and maybe even show them that, doing these things is not the way to go and that there are programs out there to help you where that was something that I was always looking for, but wasn't available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so how I is your relationship with your parents now? Sorry, go ahead. My relationship with my parents has, I'm going to say this, it's basically like non-existent. Um, okay. my, over the years, my parents have, said to me that they don't care about my sexuality, that they just want me to know that I'm their son. But at the same time, not being able to share who I truly am and be myself around them is not accepting me at all. And I've over the years just realized that I don't want to be around people that are going to make me feel like I can't be myself. And so we've just become so distant I probably hear from my mother every six months where she calls Mm -hmm. to check in on me. 
But even then, I just feel like the conversations are so fake. And it Mm -hmm. hurts me more to speak with her than it does um, to ignore her. And so sometimes she'll call me and I'll just send it to voicemail because I don't want to speak to her. Um, But I, at this point, I've kind of lost hope for a future relationship with my parents, but um, I'm open to it. And I think that if my parents were to reach out to me and say, look, like we love you no matter what, Um, we love you unconditionally, we want to be a part of your life, we want to meet your boyfriend, I would be 100% inviting and open to that. But until then, I, I just don't feel that way. Right. Well, um, how is the, your mental, your mental health? Like you said, you would kind of have some, it sounds like you had some like disassociative, disassociation like events um, that come up pretty frequently. Is that still the case? Um, Not as often. I've really, so I ended up having a really bad anxiety attack for the first time in like 2015, shortly after I heard about Jason's arrest. Um, I had this really, really bad anxiety attack and I was bedridden for two weeks. I could not leave the bed. I felt like if I stood up, I was going to die. It's this Mm -hmm. strange feeling like my heart would race. I would almost feel like my eyes were going to roll to the back of my head and I was going to black out. Um, and and anytime I stood up, I would vomit. Um, so I was stuck in bed. I didn't eat anything, um, for two weeks. I mean, of course I had water every now and then and tried to eat something that my boyfriend would make me eat. But for the most part, I could not get out of bed or do anything. I had to call out of work for two weeks. Um, and then I ended up going to the, to my doctor because I woke up and I had chewed both sides of my tongue um, from all of the stress and anxiety that I was experiencing. And my whole mouth was full of blood when I woke up. So I was like, oh, wow. and it scared the crap out of me. So I went yeah. to my doctor and she's like, you're extremely stressed. She goes, these are signs of anxiety and stress. And she was like, so they put me on medication, but I'm not big on the way medicine makes me feel. So I started seeing a therapist and working on ways to help control my anxiety. Um, And when you learn how to control that, you start to learn other things about yourself. For instance, now I know if I'm going through a lot, I'm not going to go and have a a few drinks with my friends because I know once I have those few drinks, it's going to take me back to a bad place and something bad could happen. Um, you have so to be in like a good state of mind to have that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And alcohol isn't something that I'm like, oh, I need it. I don't drink during right. the week. And if my friends aren't going out on the weekends, I'm not drinking at all. Um, I usually do it to be social, but I have had moments in my life to where things got really bad because of what I've gone through, but also the alcohol on top of it. So I tried, I really learned so much about myself, um, physically and mentally. And I think that a lot of that has come from just really analyzing who I am and what I've gone through that has helped me to realize what I can control and what I can't. Um, right. Well, and I feel like because of the stuff that's recent with Jason, 
you know, that you found out just barely a couple of years ago, it's still, you're, you're still figuring it out. You're still trying to do, you're going to go through the healing process for a while. So even when you sent me that message after you heard my webinar about how trauma affects the brain and the body, um, I thought that or how it affects the brain, our body and our mental health. I thought that that was really cool because you got a lot of information that you didn't realize you know, was triggered by your trauma. And so it's going to be a while before you're in a good, good place. Um, I mean, I always tell people the trauma, it doesn't go away. And I will tell you, like, it's something you'll deal with for the rest of your life, but you're going to learn how to deal with it in a positive way. It's not going to bring you down to your knees every single time. And that's what you have to look forward to in it. Right. And I do try to do that. I do but it is, like you said, it is a roller coaster. It's up and down. Like any mm-hmm. like the smallest thing can trigger me. And it's in that moment where I'm triggered, where I just go into the deepest, darkest place. And I feel like I can't get out of it. And I feel mm-hmm. like, like there's no, there's no end to it. And it, I know that this is something that's, that I'm going to have to go through my entire life. Um, Mm -hmm. also knowing that, that makes me feel so helpless. I think the biggest fear of mine is feeling, is never getting that feeling that I felt, that feeling of innocence back. And I know I probably never will, but I know that that is my goal and that is what I'm looking to try to reach is just that feeling of happiness that I felt, um, before everything happened to me. Um, right. But it's a, well, struggle. it's a roller coaster. Like you said, it is, it's a struggle and it's hard, like you said, to kind of comprehend that this is something that we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our life when we've dealt with, you know, we have PTSD and have dealt with trauma, but I will tell you from somebody who is mostly over that big hurdle. Um, you know, I get triggered and things come up when I least expect it. Something might trigger me today. It won't trigger me tomorrow. It, you never know. And it's unpredictable, but like I said, you're learning the tools that every single time that this happens, it's not going to feel like it's going to kill you and suck the life out of you every single time. Do I still have my days where that happens? If I get super overwhelmed? Absolutely. But I know that when it gets to that point, it's because I haven't been taking care of myself. I have been taking care of my mental health. And so you have to make sure you put yourself and your mental health first and take that step back if you need it. Because especially because the your, their trauma is recent. It's not like super in the past. And especially because the whole trial thing has been recent, it's going to be triggering. Um, and I only say that because with my court hearing, I had some stuff happen that resurfaced last year from my original perpetrator, um, my old stepdad, and I'm in the court process right now. And so it is definitely hard to kind of go back there and bring all that up again. Um, but you have come so far just in the last couple of years, you know, you have a boyfriend, you have a steady relationship, you have a place of your own, you have those things. And I think that that's amazing for considering everything that you have been through, you are in such a great place and you know, you've been through some hard, crazy shit that nobody should have to go through. But at the same time, I think that's something for that you should be really proud of yourself for because you're one of the few that made it out without being a drug addict, without being, you know, a 
I don't know, homeless person living on the streets, like you have your shit together. And that is just, I think, so big considering like what you went through. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm like in tears just hearing that because it's, it's a journey. And as you know, it's a long, hard journey and it's a struggle. Um, there were moments where, you know, I didn't think that I was going to come out of it. There were moments where I thought I was going to fall into drugs and I was going to do, you know, whatever I could just to end my life. But it, it has been, it's just been a very hard struggle. Um, but I will say that there's one thing that I look towards and it is that hope that I will be successful. I will do something with my life. And one day, mm-hmm. um, and I hate to say this, but one day, maybe, um, maybe one day my parents will feel proud of me mm-hmm. for what I've done in my life. Um, no, and that's, that's the hardest part is when you're people that you want the, the most, the people that are supposed to love you the most are the ones that hurt you the most. And I think after everything you've been through, I think that that is the hardest part is when it's your parents, when it's your people that are supposed to protect you that didn't, that is something that you'll always have that kind of feeling that you feel like needs to be fixed. But I just want you to know, like, if it doesn't and they don't choose to make that decision, that is not your fault. That is something that's a fight within themselves for the reason why they can't accept you for the way that you are. And the people that are in your life now accept you for who you are. And tr- I know it's so hard because you still have that void of your parents not being there. But again, it's their loss because they're missing out on the amazing human that you've turned out to be without their help. And that is just, I think, so big. Um, and I'm just proud of you, like I said, for taking your power back, having control of your life now, taking your power back. These people who've hurt you took your childhood. They took your past, but you ha- you're not letting them take your future. You're not letting them take over that. You're taking over that. And I think that that's so big and you're so brave. And I just, um, I wish I could give you a hug right now. Thank you like for sharing your story. And I just want you to know that I'm here for you. And I've already told you that before, like day or night, if you need to talk, you need someone to talk to, someone similar who's been through similar things, I am here for you. But I definitely think that you are going to change somebody's life and you're going to save somebody's life who's in a similar situation right now. So um, just look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of the person that you are because you're that person because of what you've done, because of the work that you've put in. Nobody else can take credit for that. So. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate everything that you do um, with sharing awareness, but mostly educating people about mental health. Like I Mm -hmm. said, it's a journey that I'm on and I'm still trying to understand it. But I think that you're spreading an amazing message and spreading a lot of education and helping people realize that what they're going through is normal. Um, So thank you for that. Of course. Well, you guys, um, this was a very heavy, but such a good educating story. And I'm so glad that Jose was here to tell you guys about it. Um, You can find him on Instagram at Jose, J-O-S-E-L-E-W-I-S-A-L-F-A-R-O. And if you guys have your, you know, part of the LGBTQIA community, reach out to Jose. He is 
a great person to talk to if you're dealing with this, these type of issues. Um, he's a public speaker, so if you would like him to come and speak at any event, reach out to him also. Um, again, Jose, thank you for being here. I appreciate you so much, and I hope one day we get to meet in person. Um, we are kind of all part, of, he's a part of the whole community with Amber Rose, who I've interviewed, um, all of that. So again, hopefully one day we can meet in person and I can give you a hug and I just appreciate everything.